Welcome to the Pair Program from Hatchpad, the podcast that gives you a front row seat to candid conversations with tech leaders from the startup world. I'm your host, Tim Winkler, the creator of Hatchpad. And I'm your other host, Mike Ruin. Join us each episode as we bring together two guests to dissect topics at the intersection of technology, startups, and career growth. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of The Pair Program. I'm your host, Tim Winkler, and my co-host, Mike Gruen. Mike, how are you today, sir? I'm doing all right. How are you doing? Doing good. You excited for uh, for the weekend? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, weather seems to be ticking in the right direction. Uh, pool just opened up in the neighborhood. So yeah, looking forward you to do, it. Uh, do you guys have a, a like a neighborhood pool? Or? Yeah, neighborhood pool. Good stuff. We went, um, actually, my wife and I went to go to our like a rec center pool in our in our neighborhood on actual Memorial Day on Monday. And no joking, about an hour line just to get in. And yeah. then you're like, yeah, I don't want to deal with that chaos. So we just. Yeah, we, we didn't bother <laughs> with Memorial Day weekend. It's always yeah. insane. But uh, yeah. it was one of the few things that I uh, wear COVID during COVID. They on lockdown. You actually had to make reservations to go to the pool. And it was great. It was like having a private pool. It was it was awesome. Um, oh. There was very few people and because nobody wanted to take the time. So it was nice. It's like a like an app opportunity here. <laughs> um, cool. Well, let's um let's go ahead and and jump uh, into a little bit of of what today's topic is. So today we're going to be talking about vision aligned product development. And so you know a lot of startups will will tend to fail from a lack of maybe clarity or lack of vision. And it's not just from like founders and leader leadership uh, not having a clear vision, but uh, it oftentimes is where the vision isn't always clearly passed down to maybe the core product and the engineering teams. Uh, and so if it's not communicated effectively as the startup scale, we we see a, uh, a higher uptick in, in failure. So we um, figured it was a good topic to, to dissect. We invited a couple of product-focused leaders uh, today to discuss what we are calling visual, vision-aligned product development. Uh, both of our guests, they have extensive experience in the seat of a product manager uh, and both have served or are serving in product leadership roles, so VP, head of product uh, in startup environments for years to help us tackle this topic. So uh, Marina and Josh, thank you for both for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Cool. All right. Uh, so before we dive into the, the discussion, we're going to kick things off with a fun segment that we call Pair Me Up. Pair, pair Me Up. This segment is where we all go around the horn. Uh, we rattle off a complimentary pairing, and uh, we always begin with uh, my trusted sidekick. So, Mike, go ahead and and uh, tip us I, off. I do love the, the sidekick. Uh, sidekick, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think in the first episode, I was introduced as Van, your Vanna White, so I think it's a it's, a, <laughs> it's a nice. In any event, uh, with uh, we were talking about Memorial Day, Father's Day is coming up. Uh, our family Father's Day tradition. Uh, is my pairing, which is donuts and ice cream. So we mm -hmm. go and get like a cake donut um, or I go and get a cake donut and put a, a, like, a scoop of ice cream on top. And it's just it is great. And ever since the uh, the Dunkin Donuts and Baskin Robbins like in the same place, mm -hmm. it just makes it really easy. You just go from one line to the next line and there you go. So that's my pairing. Donuts and ice cream. Sounds not, healthy. Not controversial, right? Exactly. <laughs> I do it once a year. <laughs> we had a big, we had a big debate uh, uh, at Hatch here about you know Dunkin' Donuts versus Krispy Kreme. They're two different things. They are two different things. How I, was that I, a debate? Whoa! Yeah, Krispy Kreme <laughs> is the 
Krispy Kreme, right? Is that what you're alluding to, Wait, Jeff? You, you get donuts at Dunkin' Donuts? I'm very confused. As a Bostonian, this makes no sense. <laughs> you just get coffee there. <laughs> what, what, they changed yeah. their name for a reason. <laughs> That's right. That's true. That's true. Um, cool. Yeah, I, could, I can drive with uh, ice cream and donuts. It sounds delicious. Um, I'll jump in on mine real quick here. So I was thinking about, um, you know, baseball recently and wore my Nats hat here. And, uh, you know, I, I was going to go with ballparks and peanuts. Um, I love going to baseball games. My wife and I actually met at a baseball game. And uh, anytime we attend, you know, we're, we're getting peanuts for sure. And then, of course, I did some research on, on ballparks and peanuts. Why, why is this such a thing? And found this um, history of it that basically discussed that, you know, peanuts were never really a hit at like, you know, racetracks because people needed to keep their hands free for betting. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in baseball, they say that the tension builds slowly. And so eating peanuts is part of a nervous habit where it gives you something to do with your hands. Um, I was like, wow, it's genius. So they started selling peanuts in ballparks and here we are. So. Interesting. That is, uh, that is my, my pairing for, uh, for today's episode. Very nice. Um, I'll pass it over to our guest. Uh, Marina, why don't you give us a quick intro and tell us your pairing? Sure. Thank you. So uh, my name is Marina Simonian. I had the product management at Cromwell, which is a digital therapeutics company. We're focused on improving patient health uh, by delivering personalized care through digital solutions and human coaching. Um, so I would consider us a startup at this point. And prior to that, I was a product manager for about 15 years. So by no stretch of imagination, a startup, um, uh, at a gastroenterology specific, uh, EMR company. So the next time you go for your colonoscopy screening, whenever that is, uh, the chances are pretty high that, uh, your whole procedure will be documented on uh, software that my team and I created. Cool. Um, That's really so cool. it's, it's a, yeah, a cool legacy to have. <laughs> <laughs> That's not your pairing though, is it? <laughs> That's not my pairing. Thank you very much. <laughs> Colons and colonoscopies. <laughs> <laughs> well, so as a product manager, you end up spending a lot of time in procedure rooms witnessing those. And it's wow. a completely different experience than going through one yourself. So <laughs> so uh, for a pairing, I'll be honest, I started with, um, Food, food focused, since that's uh, what seems to be the, the trend here. And coffee and ice cream was the first thing that came to mind. Um, but mm. I'm going to change it up a little bit for you guys and um, maybe bring in a little bit more of a philosophical pairing, um, which is uh, hardship or difficult situations and growth. Um, I see you have growth through community on your wall uh, there, Tim. And mm -hmm. um, you know, over the years, I've learned to appreciate and um, eventually even be grateful for difficult situations that um, really are transformational. And, uh, you know, provided that you lean into it and you're willing to learn things about yourself and the world around you. Um, I think that's something that's really cool that pushes us forward as humans, as leaders, as product managers. So hardship and growth is my pairing here. That's a that's a great. Great pairing. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a tough, tough act to follow. Wow. <laughs> that, um, uh, sorry. sorry about that, Josh. It's really inspirational. And now I feel bad about what I had prepared. Uh, also about work. Uh, but for us, it's a quarterly business planning season. 
I've been thinking a lot about uh, roadmaps. So mine was uh, date-based roadmaps, right? And uh, being alone in the dark, under the basement stairs, lying in the fetal position, rocking back and forth <laughs> and <laughs> contemplating the heat death of the universe. And I'm like, maybe that's too dark. I don't know for these folks I just met. And hello, podcast friends. Um, so uh, we have these cats and they really like to be outside and to go on walks. we got them harnesses. So I'm going to say cats and leashes is my pairing. That's my oh. upbeat one. Yay. Cats and leashes. That's nice. Nice. roadmaps. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Well, if you threw in some sort of a music in the background to the fetal position, I think it would. Yeah, be maybe some kind of like droning sound. <laughs> maybe a cat meowing. Some terrible atonal cat cat yowling. Cat um, yowling. <laughs> no, I love roadmaps. Uh, I'm Josh. Um, I've been a product manager for most of my adult life, and for the past fifteen or sixteen years, I've been leading uh, very early stage product orgs. A bunch of those were at my own company where I discovered I was a better product leader, I hope, than entrepreneur. Um, and then at a series of early stage companies, consumer, mobile, fintech, B2B, SaaS, kind of all over the place. But I love that sweet spot of maybe like post-seed, pre-series A, the science project part of the company is finished. And now you're trying to figure out how do we execute? How do we go to market, right? What's the difference between like, a product and a company. How do we build those two things together? So really excited to be here uh, and to learn from all of you. That's awesome. I, I love how you how you describe that. That's a, a really cool way of explaining the science experiments over. <laughs> That's funny. Um, cool. I'm pumped. This is gonna be a good one. Uh, let's let's jump into it. Uh, take take the advantage of the time that we've got. So as I mentioned, you know we're going to be talking about you know vision aligned product development. So I was doing some research on this topic and I came across a, a study from PwC that showed that 54% of executives struggle to align product innovation with the business strategy. And I think part of the reason isn't, is, is not adequate, adequately um, socializing like the importance of the vision and strategy throughout the organization. And, you know, so I think we, we're going to break this down for our listeners with you know, one, let's define like what, what does vision mean? Um, you know, how to recognize, you know, if it is aligned throughout the different teams and how to best keep it aligned as the startup goes through these various stages of growth. Um, but when we start with, with you, Marina, so, um, you know, maybe for context, you know, what, what stage is, is Cronwell at? Um, and then, you know, how would you kind of define vision in your, in your words? Sure. So we are, um, I would say, at an early stage of um, definition where we we do have a vision. We're going through the stages of understanding how we best deliver it, um, and uh, being in the in a space that's digital therapeutics, which is you know a new uh, industry, and uh, a lot of companies are in this space and still kind of figuring out what does this mean and how do we deliver digital therapies in an effective way to people, right? So um, this is an interesting conundrum in a way where you know the vision of wanting to digitize the care, digitize mm -hmm. the physician, digitize the, um, the person who's delivering the care, but how you get there um, and how you do it effectively, efficiently reach the outcomes is um, the jury's still out. So there are many different ways of going about it. 
So um, as a as a definition, I guess, for what I believe a vision is, it's truly an aspirational statement, right? Of where, um, what you think the world is going to look like once your solution is there and mm-hmm. um, what, what type of problem are you solving and for whom? So those are some of the key pieces that um, sometimes it's hard to put into a single sentence, right? There is this... Um, uh, almost obsession sometimes with uh, what is our one sentence that's going to tell the world who we are. Mm. Um, and sometimes you can get there. Sometimes it's just harder because there are so many facets that you have to define, but it's really painting a picture of how much better and how better uh, will the world be once your solution is in place and you solve somebody's problem. Very nice. Yeah. It's a great definition of it. Um, Jet. Josh, any anything that you would add flavor to in terms of, you know, when you think of vision yeah. and, and what that means to you? I, I think that definition of vision, right, being like literally looking into the future and how is the world different once you've been successful, once you have achieved your mission, right? The mission is how the world is going to be generically, right, regardless of whether or not you, you are the ones who cause a change and vision is what does it mean for you to have done it? Um, but I think this point that Marina made is really important. It's hard to write that sentence, right? And one of the things I think we do as product leaders, particularly at early stage companies, is we help scaffold the conversation for the founders, for the non-product leaders, for the people who are the visionaries, right? So that it goes from being something which is, you know, kind of fuzzy, kind of woo-woo, not necessarily clearly articulated to one that is actually possible to align the company behind. And one that I really like a lot comes from our friends, all of our friends, right over at ProdPad, uh, Jana Bastow's company, um, which helps you develop a roadmap and a plan and a vision and all that. And they have this like template for it, which I find myself going back to all the time, right? It's, uh, you know, for a target customer, who, right, what's the opportunity, the name of your product is, what's the category that is the benefit, the reason to buy, unlike primary competitive alternative, which doesn't have to be another company, of course, right? Our product does what differently, Hmm. right? So this is something that um, at my prior company, Bridget, we went through, we were expanding our product line to introduce a new capability, a credit builder program. So our vision example might've been something like for everyday Americans who want to reduce their financial stress, the Bridget credit builder is a credit building savings program that minimizes cash flow needs, doesn't require changing consumer behavior, Unlike secured credit cards or credit building loans, our product doesn't force you to spend money you don't have or change your entire financial life. I'm not going to say that one is any good um, or one that we should use, but what I like about it is it gives you this tool to like discern, right? So that the next day, the next week, the next month, the next quarter, right? If you say that's still our that's still our product vision, that's still our company vision, it's really easy for you to say, and that's why we're not going to do these things, right? That's why we're not going to engage in this initiative. That's why we're not going to build this feature or something else, right? It gives you like a tool and a firmware kind of inherently to make those decisions, which is just so important early on. So it's interesting you bring that up. The the one thing you said that I thought was interesting, product vision, company vision, because I think they are different and feel free Mm. to argue with me. Uh, There's the company vision. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because I mean, like it's possible for like, if I, if I, I think about a company, I want to, if, if we're really going to be a company, we're probably going to have mm-hmm. multiple products, right? Yeah. Not to start, but we're going to start with this product and this product is going to have a vision and that vision aligns to our, our company vision of 
you know, that's that sort of more aspirational, a little more, I, I don't want to say vague, but doesn't really say how we're going to do it. It's just mm-hmm, going to say yeah. more to, to Marina's point, what the world looks like when we like, you know, um, we want to, everybody should have access to education or something, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. And it's very aspirational. And then the product visions are a little more aligned to how we're going to get there. I'm curious what your thoughts are, because I think that's a, that's like one of those areas that's a, a, it's a constant struggle in the, in the executive mm-hmm. like suite of like, are we talking product vision? Are we talking company vision? And I'm just curious what your thoughts are. Marina, I'd love to hear your thoughts because you really <laughs> took a product through like a much further, further you, you out, right? really mature, right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, um, I think I would agree with the fact that the the company vision stays on a higher level without maybe necessarily diving into the solution, right? Or the how. Um, And the one that I really like that I can uh, probably share here is I think for the Wikipedia, you know, it's something like we want to give access, free access to the world knowledge to every person in the world, right? Right. Something that is very aspirational and doesn't talk about how, doesn't talk, mm-hmm. well, it does put the free in there. So it already drives how you're going to make some choices and strategies in the company, but it's very aspirational, not to use vague, <laughs> right. uh, to your point. But then when you go down to the product strategies, then yes, you become a lot more focused on who you're going to solve it for how, and how you're going to solve it, right? And become a lot more, um, solution driven and problem definition driven and still look back to how does this align to are we still solving for the larger uh, company problem and to your point Josh uh, when when it's a startup and when you're a small company you have so much in the beginning to kind of define that mm-hmm. it's probably easier to a certain degree to align when you're uh, you know a much larger company with multiple product lines it becomes that much and you have all these layers between the leadership and uh, the people that are making some of the choices. Um, it becomes that much more difficult to stay true to your initial vision. Um, and in that, I think the, the biggest um, impact that we've seen always has been moving away from, you know, enhancement and feature factory to really focusing again on goal oriented and solution oriented delivery of uh, releases or product lines that solve a specific problem that aligns to that bigger company vision. It's so, and I think back to like the startup world, right? The it's probably correct me if I'm wrong, easier to start with the product vision in a certain way, right? Like most people have an idea, like they don't, most people don't have some, I mean, maybe they do, but like I think it's usually the case that someone's like, hey, I have this problem and I think, or I've seen this problem and I think I know how to solve it. And so they sort of start probably more at that sort of product vision of this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to do it. And then sort of as they get a little bit further along, and this is my experience at the startups I've been at, where it's only later after mm-hmm. we've sort of gotten past that sort of seed round and retard maybe series A that we're start talking about like, well, what's really our company vision outside of our product vision? And I'm curious if that's been your experiences as well. I I'm going to push back a little bit. Please. I think <laughs> that's why we have you. Scrapping is very common, right? But I think it also is a place where startups often get themselves into trouble. I'm not going to say it causes failure, but it maybe causes people to work harder than they have to. 
right? Because in some ways, it's easy to have a product vision, right? I don't say easy, right? These things are all hard, right? right. But it's straightforward to have an idea from product. We're going to build to have some insight about the market. We're going to go ahead and build that product. But the questions of like, who is it for? And who's going to buy it? And why are they going to buy it? Are things that sometimes happen maybe later than they otherwise could. Mm-hmm. And this is a critical part about the product, right? I mean, when I'm building a enterprise SaaS product, right? The questions of how it gets purchased is really part of the product experience from the perspective of many of the users of our product, how it gets paid for, right? What the pricing model is, all these sorts of things. And, you know, you mentioned the study um, asking CEOs and execs about what their challenge is, right? And it's alignment. I'm pretty sure that if you ask the very same question of the folks bottoms up with an organization, they'll say something similar, but in the reverse, right? I want to know, I need to know that what I'm doing is aligned with our, not just our mission for the company, but our vision for the company and the strategy that falls out of that vision. And then ultimately, you know, objectives, key results, whatever your way of executing, right? The roadmap executing on that strategy happens to be. And a lot of the times we don't know all the answers to those things. Like we think we have a vision, but it's not so clear. Great. We get to put our product manager hats on, right? And hypothesis test. Because that's what our job is, right? Use our, right? Okay, we have questions here. How do we go test those questions out and answer them as quickly as we possibly can? And that's why I always push, sometimes successfully, sometimes not, my CEOs to put a little more effort into articulating the company vision early on. It doesn't have to be forever. And I know we'll talk about that. Like how long does a vision last? But if you can't say it right now, it's really unlikely that you're not going to get unnecessary friction between product and sales and marketing and customer service and finance. Right. This is your best tool to get those teams aligned. So, Josh, I have a, a, a question as to problem definition versus vision definition. Yeah. Right. So what comes first? Because it sounds like to get to a successful vision definition, you really need to hone in and probably go through those iterations of is this an acute problem? Are people willing to pay yeah. for it? Are we truly solving for it? So what has been your experience in working? with those companies on that. What I love about templates is it kind of tells you the parts. Like, if you, I think you're exactly right. Every company has their own holes when they get started, right? Some, a lot of times, are really clear on who the customer is, right? Who are they building this thing for, right? They know it's a problem. They've seen it before, but like, who exactly is a customer, right? A lot of times, they don't really understand who their competition is, right? They think their competition is another company, and it's really doing nothing, or it's Post-it notes, or Excel right? Or email, right? They don't understand who they're... But having like the template out there gives you the tool at least to figure out like, what are the holes in our... right? Whether you're thinking about a problem statement or a product vision, what are the holes? What are the places we need to explore really, really quickly? Because if we know what the thing is we're building really clearly, but we're not sure who's going to buy it, great. Now we know where to put our... At least our executive attention answering that question. Um, And if we don't, it's easy to forget stuff. Um, I know I'm guilty of that all the time, like missing like one key part of our vision, right? Or one key part of our strategy, because I'm so focused on the stuff I feel most comfortable with. How many places have either of you worked where, because uh, I've definitely worked in these places where it's a problem, uh, you know, it's a solution in search of a problem, right? Like that, because I mm-hmm. think that that's right. That's a, yeah. <laughs> that, and, and like, I can tell you, there was a company I worked at for like, uh, they were around for 11 years before they finally hit upon what it is that their product was the best suited, like what the, what their product could actually solve uh, for real people. 
Um, and I think it's that's an interesting like who who's who's our audience? Who's gonna like what problems are we solving? Um, and yeah, it's sometimes can yeah. be hard to get right. <laughs> it, it's easy to get excited with a solution that seems cool without really understanding who else will consider it cool and be willing to pay for it and use it. So right, definitely. Yeah, I also would bring up the point that, you know, a lot of startups growth can vary between, you know, either like sales led growth and then product led growth, too. And um, I've seen or I've heard that you know, startups that maybe they have a very unique vision or like a higher barrier to entry and then they have a very, very strong competitive advantage. You know, that's probably going to be a little bit more sales uh, strategy based on like sales. And maybe like product innovation slows a little bit at this point. Um, whereas over a period of time, right, when that competitive advantage starts to d- diminish and other companies are, they figured out, you know, there's similar product out there. I think that's when the strategy maybe shifts to be more of like a product led growth because it's like now we have to figure out how do we innovate on features and what are, what yeah. are these differentiators between what these other competitors are now doing? So I think it also depends on like what kind of, what kind of market share do you have in, in your space on, on what your strategy is? Um, I mean, I think the nice thing about a sales led, right. And everybody likes product led. It's a better model long-term. The nice thing about sales led early on is that's like the pointy part of your organization talking to customers and your sales teams will probably have a more clear eyed understanding of the competitive market than you do, right? It's really easy to fall in love with your product and and your solution to think you have a really big moat only to realize, you know, your differentiator is something that nobody else cares about. And if you aren't listening to your sales team, you miss out on that. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think you're absolutely right. Like, it's really easy to think you have something powerful. You have a strong mission. You're great at pitching it, right? Everybody loves it when they hear you talk about it. But when the rubber hits the road, nobody's going to buy this thing because you're not quite aligned with what the market expects out of you. Yeah. Let's talk about like some failure stories. I think that's always fun. Um, like, so we're talking about, let's just say, you know, like product features versus product initiatives, right? So like if, if leadership, if the leadership team is saying, you know, we need to, we need to put these product initiatives in place to accomplish these goals and your know, product features, you know, these initiatives are broken down into like maybe like smaller features. Like how, how do we figure out, you know, what is priority here? Like how, how do you all prioritize what is most essential in this product? Josh, you want to know? <laughs> Nobody wants to talk about this. <laughs> that, that, that sort of feels like you're asking the question here at the crux of, you know, what makes developing new products really challenging? Um, <laughs> and how do we choose? <laughs> Right. I mean, you know, one answer is you talk about like the basic prioritization scheme, right? Right. Priority is value minus cost times probability. Right. And that's an easy thing to say. I think the reason I love you asking the question in the context of a vision of a product vision is because if you only ask those questions all the time, what you end up with is like a context free portfolio of ideas of stuff to build. Right. And nobody buys a context-free portfolio of ideas, right? Fundamentally, they're buying a vision. And maybe your vision's wrong. Maybe it needs to change, all of that. But, you know, if prioritization isn't guided at least pretty clearly in big chunks, right, by your vision, then again, to me, at least that's a red flag that you don't sufficiently understand what it is that you're building. 
strong words. I don't want to call it about any, I don't want to call out any past companies, but maybe check my LinkedIn and all of them. (laughs) (laughs) No, I love each of you so much. So, um, I want to add to that, that, um, you're absolutely right. And the choices that we make, um, right. You, if you don't have the clear definition of the vision, you, you definitely don't know the alignment, but I think, um, it's not necessarily a failure story, but something that may have been perceived uh, by some people and not from a digital world. Uh, but a vision will call you to make some sacrifices sometimes. Right. And, um, to me, CVS, I think it was, I don't know, back in, when was it 2014 or whenever they made the choice to stop selling cigarettes, right? Um, it was a, a sacrifice made by a company to continue serving a vision of being a health company. So, you know, in some cases, it's what you take out mm-hmm. that continues uh, keeping you true to your vision. Um, and yeah, in most, uh, most of the cases with, even with uh, digital products, right? If, if uh, you ended up putting something in your product that is not being used or not supporting um, the overall vision that you're trying to go after, sometimes you just got to take the ax and go after it. Yeah. I mean, I think I've worked at plenty of places where that's, there's a big conversation about, well, we could do that. There's definitely money there. Do we want to do that? Is that the direction? we want our company to go in is that the business we want to be and vision can help to make sure that you sort of stay Mm -hmm. true to something else because you can chase a lot of things like especially when you have a a sales-led growth model which is a great model but there's always this like well if we just did this or if we just tweaked it this way we could make so much and it's like but and then which gets into a different question i do have but the I think um, I remember reading the Steve Jobs quote, something along the lines of like, I'm more proud of the things we said no to than the things I said yes to. Um, and I think that 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 idea is is key, especially at the early it, it, like you have to be raised. You have to be really focused. It's really easy to get unfocused. And vision to me allows you to stay focused on on what you're trying to do. And mm-hmm. based on the yeah, nodding heads, I'm assuming your beacon is <laughs> your guiding post, right? But- <laughs> right. So if you have a good vision, then your choices are easy. So when does that have to adjust? When is it the case that maybe, maybe you should adjust your vision and go after health nuts rather than, you know, a convenience store? Um, I can also say that I'm a little skeptical in terms of CVS's uh, why -hmm. they stopped selling cigarettes, but (laughs) we won't get into. (laughs) It was a good example. Leave it at that. Isn't it nice when socially beneficial visions also happen to improve your bottom line? (laughs) It's all about the angle that you look at. But yeah, but again, I mean, when do you, when do you adjust vision? When do you decide that, you know what, maybe we should be that company or that product? Um, I'm curious what your thoughts are. I don't think a specific cadence is so important. I think what's really important in a place where, I've gotten myself, you know, wrapped around and, you know, other founders I've seen do the same thing is if you don't give yourself permission to set it aside for a little bit, we have a vision, mm-hmm. right? There are some holes in it. We're actively working to figure out the answers to those holes, but everything else next quarter, we're not going to think it through. We're not going to belabor it. We're going to execute on this because we're going to be so much smarter in one month and two months and three months than we are right now. 
Um, because very quickly it turns into a, it turns into sort of about second guessing yourself. This is something that um, I do a lot. Let's say a couple of companies ago, uh, we found ourselves. We built a vision. We had a mission statement. Great, really solid there. We had a product that was working. We were working on the vision because we found ourselves trying to do trying to do trying to do too many things, uh, and we wanted to prioritize. And um, I feel like twice a day we made pretty big shifts to our vision. Hiring the right software engineer doesn't come easy or at an affordable price. As an early stage founder growing quickly, you need strong technical talent without breaking the bank. That's why we created Scale, Hatch IT's flexible recruiting program tailored for startups hiring on a startup budget. Whether you're looking to bring on a new head of engineering or a product manager, Hatch has you covered with dedicated support from seasoned tech recruiters at a fixed monthly cost. Take back the time you've spent sourcing through your own LinkedIn connections and let Hatch handle the heavy lifting of recruiting for you. And while you're at it, give your CFO something to smile about when they're no longer paying for high-priced finder's fees. Visit us at hatchit.io to start hiring on your startup budget today. And at some point, I said to the CEO, does this actually matter for what we're going to be doing over the next two months? He's like, well, yes. You know, like, what if we find ourselves going in the wrong direction? I'm like, could we tell right now if it's wrong direction or the right direction? He's like, well, I, I, I guess not. You know, we had investors saying one thing. We had customers saying something else. We had prospects who hadn't signed yet saying something else, right? You should always trust people, you know, who are trying to get you to, uh, to change your product uh, and, and then they'll sign, right? So they're trying to do all those different things together. And we decided we're just going to write it down and put a pin in it. And it's going to be okay. And we're going to make mistakes. But these also won't be the only mistakes we're going to make over the next, I think it was like two and a half months. We're going to make over the next two and a half months. and. I don't think it was correct. Like it wasn't a great vision that we had. I think it probably could have been better if we'd spent like another day on it or another two days on it. But at some point we had to be like, we just gotta, we just gotta stop. Hmm. Right. We gotta go close some deals. We gotta go build some stuff. We have a prioritization, right? Let's go make a couple of releases. Let's get our, you know, engineers feeling good about the direction they're heading in. And that allowed us to get to actually move forward. Um, again, was it the right one? I don't know. Company's still doing really well. I bought my shares. Um, but you really can't tell. And part of it is not second guessing yourself and keeping it from being per- paralyzing. Hmm. I would maybe just add to that, that I, I totally agree with, you don't want to be changing it too frequently, right? If you find yourself jumping from one to another month to month, mm-hmm. that's strategery, that's uh, <laughs> counterproductive <laughs> and you want to put it on the side. Um, so when you do want to probably consider adjusting it or changing it is maybe the market conditions change. Maybe, um, you know, you're hitting yourself against the wall for too long and not, uh, realize, maybe realizing that it wasn't the right, uh, niche product solution. Some, something is not clicking. You definitely want to go back and revisit that, but not mm-hmm. if you're doing it monthly, there's, there's something bigger that needs to be solved. And I think the, um, the, how do you net like the, I don't think there's enough. I, well, I won't say that. What I'll say is I think that companies that do well, think about how they're going to measure success and know whether or not there is success. Right. And so if, if things are going well, then right, clearly you don't need to adjust your vision. And then looking at like, what isn't going well, is it our, you know, that's when maybe some things need to be adjusted, but maybe it's, 
maybe it's not vision, maybe it's other things, maybe it's your strategy on your go to market, or maybe you just need different whatever. Um, but I think that setting up that criteria of how do you measure success and how how do you know, like, OK, we're going to give this a month, we're going to give it two months and we're going to watch this and this is how, and, and see it trending in this direction or that direction. And that's how we're going to know is an important part. Otherwise, I think um, you can end up in like a, if you're looking at these you know, sort of trends daily, you end up also doing the like, well, maybe we need to adjust this. Maybe we need to adjust that. And you're just constantly thrashing. Not speaking from personal experience at all there. Um. <laughs> Never happened to me. No. <laughs> yeah, visioning is a, it's a whole, I mean, that's a whole topic in itself, I think, just because, you know, I, I myself, like, when I started this business uh, with Hatch IT, um, you know, I, when you go into it in the beginning, like, yeah, you're, you're identified a problem. Um, you've, you've got a solution to a problem, but you're not just, you know, putting this perfect vision statement together. You know, you're just kind of, you're moving fairly quickly. And I did, I did to get to a point where I was like, you know, I, I need to probably be very clear here about what this vision statement is as we grow and folks are coming in. And so I took a course actually through like an MIT um, management and leadership course. And the bulk of it was about, about vi- like the uh, framing of vision and how like these different like sub dimensions of visioning. Um, and so they were, they broke it down into like three main sections. And one was like, fra- like framing the vision. So like, how do you communicate it? Uh, like, how do you provide meaning for people that are, that are working with you and how do you, how do you help get them motivated? Cause I think that's a, that was a big thing that, we saw, especially during the pandemic too, is like, you know, folks are, they, they, they want to make sure that they're working within a company that, you know, they're all working towards some sort of greater change. So you also think about how do you create like urgency for it as well? Like, you know, why, why is it, why is it necessary? Or like, what are the consequences if there's an inaction? Um, or so like, what is the benefit if the vision is achieved? And then, yeah, just building that shared vision, I think was the biggest takeaway for me is like, you know, using language like we and using language like are, um, you know, getting folks excited and motivated, I think is one of the, the biggest challenges of a startup when, when you're in, especially in early stages and, and growing like a small team and keeping that loyalty and having folks motivated. But yeah, it's, it's a crash course in itself. <laughs> yeah. And can, can I, I want to, go ahead. sorry. Um, I also want to ask, uh, or kind of semi make a statement, right? So th- there is that vision statement that you spend all those days and hours crafting, but, um, you, you, I feel like you always need to expand on it, uh, to really help then the rest of your teams understand, uh, what you mean by it, right? Because, um, a lot of times you, you use constructs in that short vision statement that are not necessarily clear to everybody. So what have you seen, um, maybe in your experiences, how, how much do people elaborate beyond that statement and how has that helped? Gosh, <laughs> I mean, that's, a real, that's a really Gosh, good question. I was going to ask something very similar. I was going to say like, what's the work? Like, how do you know if your vision statement is working? And now you ask that question in a much more elegant way. I'm trying to think about how to answer it. Right. Like it has to be useful. You can imagine, you know, going to your board of directors and saying, well, I've got good news and bad news. Right. Oh, no. What's the bad news? Well, the bad news is sales are down and churn is up and we tried a new pricing model and it's not working out very well. And CSAT is down or NPS score is tanked. Like, oh, my God, that's terrible. What's the good news? 
we have a really great vision statement. <laughs> so like, we, none, of, none of us have started businesses or joined companies because we want a really strong vision statement. That isn't the product. So I guess the thing that I keep thinking about is, and I know we're kind of conflating vision and mission together, and I think it's helpful to separate them out a little bit. But the thing that I wonder is like, how do you know if your vision statement is working or not? Right? Because again, it's really easy for it to become, I don't know, entrepreneurial navel gazing. Right. Right. And it's easy to lie to yourself and say it's really important to have a strong vision statement because that's how you keep people aligned and motivated. But I think you're actually hitting on something, which is a vision statement versus a vision. To me, that's like mm-hmm. having a great vision statement isn't nearly as important as having a great vision or yeah. having a well articulated, well understood vision. Like it can be messy. If everybody in the company sort of generally knows what the vision is. Um, even if it can't be boiled down to one sentence, I think that's an indicator that you have something that you ha- that at least it's being understood back to back to the original question, right? How do you know? Yeah. And and to me, like when the vision, like when the only time I interact with the vision is like when I got the, you know, um, the welcome packet, you know, like mm-hmm. to me, that's that, like that's a bad sign, right? It should be. Yeah coming up in lots of meetings, whether it's all hands meetings led by the CEO and quarterly updates, the vision should be, I don't want to say the vision statement is re-articulated every time. What I want to say is like, it's clear that from this meeting, like the vision is just, it's just the underpinning in the core. And I don't know, like, I don't have a a great answer of like specifically how that's done, but I know, I, I know it when I see it, I know when, it's sort of like the same as culture values or, or company values or whatever sure. you want to call it, right? There's, it, it can be written on the website all day long or painted on the wall, but like the true measure of it is do the peop, do the, does the organization know what they are and feel them and can articulate them in some way? Um, yeah. So that's, anyway, sorry. I, I, I love that. <laughs> I, I, I love that. You know, I think about a rubric, right? So one rubric I might have as an employee is looking at our vision right? And watching what the executives do. And if I can predict what the executives are going to do, the direction they're going to take, the decision they're going to make by looking at our vision, then it's a pretty good vision, (laughs) right? And if they keep on doing things which don't line up with my understanding of the vision, there's something broken, right? Um, If the vision helps you build out the larger stack, right? If you can see the line from the vision to the strategy, to your objectives, to your key results, to your roadmap. If you can like make that straight line, it's probably working pretty well. If these things seem very divorced, then. Yeah. And I think that that's another, like the, the drawing the line, I usually think about it from the top down. If I can draw a line from that vision down to the work that I'm doing and Mm -hmm. can understand why what I'm doing aligns to that vision, that's a good sign, right? As a, as an engineer or or anyone working on in the company. I think one way we do it. Sorry, we start with the fact that you know the vision, right? So Mm -hmm. there there are so many companies where if you ask an engineer, they won't be able to articulate the vision. So that's already thumbs up. (laughs) I'd I'd say also like a good way of reinforcing it is like your customer's feedback um, or uh, for your your audience's feedback. So for us anyways, it's, you know, constantly getting some sort of feedback from engineers or candidates and, and understanding like, you know, throughout this process, you know, Tell, tell us your feedback and and relaying that back to the team, I think, is that motivator of like, this does align with how we're trying to reshape, you know, staffing or whatever it might be. This is some validation to it here, here at firsthand from some of the folks that are consuming this product or service, <laughs> whatever it is. Absolutely. Yeah, that's one of the best 
parts for me when we get our MPS um, comments uh, from our patients and you actually connect all the work that you're doing to an individual person's life that's improving. That's really where things click and you understand whether you're doing something right or wrong. Has there ever been like, you know, from a product perspective, you know, you all maybe gathering more user feedback and then communicating back with other teams or, or within like engineering departments, any sort of conflict on now that's not really how I, how I've seen or heard the vision being communicated or, um, but you're coming back and saying, well, it's kind of, this is some direct feedback we're getting from the customers. Any, any, uh, any kind of, uh, awkward interactions that you've experienced and in, in trying to say who, who's got it right, uh, communicating between different teams. It's a little scary talking about prior companies, but I'm going to do one with a caveat. This is a long time ago, um, but uh, at Alice, which is an enterprise SaaS company, um, we had the vision for being a product that enabled more personal relationships between vendors and clients, between customer success and customers, uh, a tool to kind of mediate those personal relationships as opposed to impersonal ones. Uh, what we heard from our early customers was they loved the services we were providing. We were providing a services business wrapped up in a nice, affordable SaaS pricing model. And for them, that was outstanding. Like they loved it, right? They were getting really, really good value. Um, and that was a wake-up call that we had a vision, but it wasn't really getting articulated in strategy and roadmap. And that caused a lot of really tough conversations. Hi, Greg. <laughs> Good job since I left. <laughs> Greg, if you're listening out there, we, we can bleep that out. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll twist this to maybe since you mentioned, uh, you know, communication with engineering teams, right? A lot of mm. times um, what, what we've heard um, is an engineering perspective of how we think it makes sense for something to work versus then taking it into the field and really seeing how it works in reality. So there is the ideal technical solution always, and then there is the reality where, you know, yes, it would be great if something happened in one place, but three different people need to touch it from three different places, right? For specifically to our past life in uh, procedure rooms, for example, we have such a complex dynamic and everything needs to happen in parallel. So yes, connecting what a technical solution seems like makes sense and it will be easier and it's, it, just, it just makes sense to then taking it and observing it in the field and understanding that it's just, yes, it does, but not for these people, not in this context. I actually very recently had a conversation with a friend of mine who works at a company that does point of sale for point of sale systems for um, restaurants. And he was saying like, it's frustrating that I ha there's this whole group of engineers. It's a very large company um, and they're part of it is outsourced um, or engineers in a different part of the world. And none of them have ever worked in food service. It's just not in their culture for like that to happen, right? That you go mm -hmm. to college and then you get a, a, an engineering job or whatever. And he was saying like, they just don't understand what, like what, what it looks like. And so these products, these like, things that they make, like, this is the terrible interface for someone who's mm -hmm. actually in food service to actually like add this new wireless point of sale system into the, into the environment. Like it, no one knows the answers to these questions. You know them because you're an engineer, like, but, and, and that's what, you know, the value that product obviously adds is in trying to like 
shape all of that. But um, yeah, it's interesting that it, 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 the being able to put yourself in the the perspective in the of the yeah in the context mm-hmm. isn't isn't that one of the primary jobs the product managers have right is providing Absolutely. that business context that market context to the entire rest of the company to being the evangelist for that and you're right right if you engineers have that you know have that inherent empathic understanding that's great um you know and Apple has a lot fewer product managers than a lot of other companies do. Why? Because their customers are people who look like Apple employees. Right. We all carry I mean, <laughs> Android phones. So I don't no idea what that says about me, but like we all carry Apple iPhones around, right? We're all iPad users, right? So it kind of makes sense. You can develop that much, right. much harder if you're developing a tool for managing colonoscopy appointments. Right. Absolutely. Just to throw out a random example. Hence, hence your job as a product manager. You're right. absolutely yeah. right. To create, to paint that picture, to put them in that context and really make the connection. Yeah, it's such a fascinating role because it touches so many different departments of the org. So, um, so I think we're going to have to uh, put a bow on this segment uh, and then transition to our next segment here, just, just looking at the clock. But um, let's, it, well, I guess any, any last statements or anything else you wanted to add before we, before we transition? I don't know if that was, you know, obviously there's a lot still left to uncover here, but you know. <laughs> Would, don't want to be mindful if there was anything last pressing that you wanted to mention. You know, I, I think that most of us have come to the conclusion that, uh, you know, release earlier, release often, bring out an MVP. Uh, and I think we're comfortable mostly with that. I think our founders are comfortable most with that. The rest of executive leadership understands that that's like the normative way to behave as a, as a technology company. Mm-hmm. I think we have to give ourselves that same permission for the company documents, for the strategy documents. So it's okay if you have an MVP of your company vision. That's fine, right? You're never going to get it better until you have that first release version. So the one thing I'd hate for people to walk away with is like, oh my goodness, this is really important. If I don't get it just right, mm-hmm. you know, then you know, everything else is going to fall apart. Well, maybe, right? But you're not going to get it just right if you make this an entirely internal exercise. Mm-hmm. And you won't get it right overnight. That's right. (laughs) Right. And and yeah, I think it's well said. I mean, from a greater just startup philosophy too, it's just like, you know, look, things are going to change. Like the environment is changing constantly. Uh, I think the pandemic is one of the most humbling examples of this, of, you know, companies and products that were created due to the environment or some that just died off because of it. And now we're still seeing that happening. And so just being a little open-minded of like, yeah, what you created or, or, you know, whatever that statement was, you know, five years ago, you can iterate on it. It's not set in stone. Um, so just kind of keeping a flexible mindset there. Cool. All right. Uh, well, let's, let's go ahead and transition to the, the next segment called Round Out My Career. Um, so this is a, a segment where we spin this community wheel behind me. It's got topics and questions that are crowdsourced from the Hatchpad community. Uh, could be anything from compensation to diversity, and uh, we choose something randomly. So let's go give it a spin. Let's round it out. All right, communication is what it landed on here. <laughs> um, so I got a, I got one that I just, it's just, it's. Current it's top of mind right now, just uh, given the current state of affairs in our in our world today. Um, and so I I'm just gonna 
wing it with this one because it's top of mind. And I'm curious to hear how you all are handling this. Um, so, you know, having conversations with your team uh, in a time when, call it what it is, you know, there's a lot of doom and gloom being spread around in, in the economy and uh, just a, a lot of things that are, are impacting folks from outside uh, sources and wanting to keep your team kind of focused and heads down when there's so much noise around you. Um, you know, no, no, um, you know, it's not a, it's not a, uh, surprise here. There's, there's talks of a recession on the horizon. Your Y Combinator came out with this, you know, just terrifying message to their founders, which I thought was extremely daunting. Um, and as somebody who works with startups and, you know, obviously, you know, engages with, with VCs and venture, um, you know, there's a lot of concern in the air. Um, and, you know, we've seen a lot of layoffs happening. It's all a bit doom and gloom at times. Um, how do you kind of like communicate with your team at a level that is just real, um, but also like not too, too scary of, of conversation to, you know, wanting to make sure that they're staying focused, but also the reality of, of, of a lot of startup situations is that there is a runway, right? This isn't just an mm -hmm. infinite pool of money. Um, and because of that, you know, there might be just concerns of chitter chatter going around of like, well, my next, you know, how do I know what's, what's happening? What's, what level of communication do you have with your team and how do you kind of keep them focused during times like this? Um, I, I guess Marina, if you want to start, <laughs> that's, that's a deep one, but. So, um, being the Eastern European here <laughs> with, um, a little bit of a different perspective on hardship and, uh, doom and gloom. Um, I usually, you know, on one hand, prefer very honest communication. So if, if I know that there is something coming down the pike, I do want to be honest and set the right expectations with people. Um, but also I know things pass, nothing is permanent. There is always the up and the down to any situation. Um, so on one hand, uh, acknowledging maybe the vulnerable or difficult positions that the company may be in or that may put um, somebody in, but on the other hand, um, looking at the upside. So, you know, fortunately for me, I haven't had to have communications like that in the past, but if we kind of abstract to a more um, general statement of times are tough, um, there are always times that are tough. You pass through them. And uh, it, when you look at it in perspective of uh, overall how the world has evolved, um, we still are in a very um, safe and positive overall world um, that we're living in. So I, I'm an optimist. You know, I don't, I don't close my eyes to the challenges, but I always hope for and cry, try to create the hope for you know, the upswing that comes always after the down. I love that you brought perspective into this too, because yeah, I, I've, uh, I've got a lot of thoughts on, on, uh, perspective as well. Um, but we'll try to stay <laughs> focused. Uh, I'm going to pass to Josh, uh, Josh, any, any comments? Yeah, I think, um, that, that broader perspective is lovely. I think there's like three, there's like three things I'm thinking about over here. And one of them is as leaders in the company, one of the things that we need to do is provide perspective. Tech companies tend to be younger, right? People, you know, with less experience under their belts, fewer jobs, fewer downturns of the economy, fewer pandemics, thank goodness, whatever it is. Um, and 
part of what we need to do is, is provide perspective to people within our organization that things feel really acute right now, but the way things feel doesn't have to be the way things actually are, right? Feelings aren't necessarily ourselves. And that's a lesson that I think we can bring regardless of what the specific decision action is going to be. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's part of what it means to be a manager and a leader. Uh, and I think it's okay to expect that from ourselves and to expect that from the other leaders at our company to provide that support people we work with. Um, the second is I'm pretty lazy. And as soon as you stop uh, being honest, as soon as you start trying to soften things or share part of the story or keep things close to the vest, you're working really, really hard. Who can I tell? Who can't I tell? We hire like really smart people in all of our companies. Like, What's the point of working so hard on hiring if we don't expect these people to be smart? If they're smart people, they're going to figure out what's really going on. And honesty is just a lot less work than having to, you know, scramble at the end or have people ask questions. So I'm lazy. Be as honest as possible. Um, I think the third thing to this is, you know, it's easy to have values when things are easy. Um, And this is a moment for us as leaders to demonstrate the role that values can have inside of the workplace, which I think for everybody I've ever spoken to feels pretty important to them, right? We spend at least eight hours a day, five days a week at our places of work. It's a big part of our lives. It's a big part of all of our identities, right? I know this about the three of you. I know this about everybody I've ever worked with. Um, Our colleagues aren't okay, right? Whether they should be or shouldn't be, you know, if their parents, they're coming off of two years of worrying about their kids at school. Uh, Maybe they've had family members or friends who've gotten really sick or who have died. Uh, the news, fair or not, is full of some really scary stories and some really scary images. Speaking just of myself, um, I'm not somebody who has a lot of like emotions, uh, but the latest shooting in Texas really, really hit me. I got two kids. You know, I spent a week, you know, seeing my kids' classmates' faces when I thought about those kids in Texas. Um, you know, there doesn't have to be like a logic behind it to realize that a lot of people are in a tough spot. And bringing empathy and understanding for where they are is, I mean, first of all, again, back to being lazy, it makes your job much easier because we are naturally empathic, naturally nice people. None of us are naturally assholes, right? So letting yourself do the natural thing is going to be a lot less work. Mm -hmm. Uh, But also, it's a really great opportunity to build the kind of trust and the kind of loyalty that we need when it comes to, okay, things are hard, but here's a place where I can impact the world. Here's a part of the world that I can put work into and gain some feeling of control over. That's going to help me feel better. And frankly, you know, success of the company, you know, is, is part of personal success as well. Cool. Yeah, well said. Yeah. You basically stole mine. Uh, <laughs> empathy. That was pretty good. <laughs> no, Mike's is just the lazy part. Yeah, that's that's 100%. 100%. Uh, no, I was going to go instead of I, I wouldn't frame it as honesty. I'd frame it as transparency. Um, Ooh, nice. But it's the same same general concept, right? Being transparent. Yeah. This is what's actually happening. I think um, being able to be transparent about like we this is our plan this is how we're trying to address it like or being transparent and saying like hey there's a lot of things in motion right now we don't have all of the answers we're working on it like i i think that goes a long way back to the like you have smart people you hire smart people smart people understand that like sometimes coming up with that plan takes a little bit of time and they can also recognize when you don't have a plan but pretend that you do so you know i've always appreciated i i you know i and talk about context and perspective um back you know i've i worked in the 90s during the dot-com bubble and when that happened and i saw a lot of people lose jobs and and whatnot 
Um, and I remember, you know, the company I was at there uh, during that time and w- our CEO just coming in and being like, look, this is this is the situation. You know, we thought we were going to do this merger. Everything fell apart and we're totally shifting gears and we're going to do this thing. And and I really appreciated all of the transparency all the way you know, from top to bottom on what that was. So that's a big one. Empathy, I think, is just a, a company mm-hmm. value. If you if you work at a company that's not empathetic, you should find a different company. Um, yeah, same thing a little bit with transparency, but you know, I don't want to be too too hardcore. Um, but yeah, I think those are the big ones. Um, and then um, having that plan, and also sometimes when there's doom and gloom, like not to be like more like whatever that's called. There's a word for it, but um, sometimes there's opportunity. In even though there's something bad happening, that sometimes that creates opportunity and being able to talk about that. Um, I can talk about like, um, you know, the, with a shift in careers, like right when during the pandemic, there was this huge shift of people from uh, restaurants and, and service industry into other businesses like that. There was opportunity that was created by that. It was yes, it was very doom and gloom for the restaurant industry don't want to underplay that but sometimes that those shifts can create opportunities so just because there's something doom and gloom doesn't necessarily mean it's doom and gloom for you or your company um and you just have to handle that in a very respectful way like i think that that's also key um Mm -hmm. to not make it look like you're being opportunistic or um you know anything along those lines but to recognize that that opportunity is there cool yeah, I would I would just mirror the transparency word, I think, was the a big one that comes to comes to mind for me as well, because I just put yourself in, in the shoes of, of others. And how would you want to be informed mm-hmm. of what's going on, you know, versus, you know, this a secrecy of like, can't tell you anything until it's too late. Um, so, yeah, giving folks giving folks some some heads up, giving folks the ability to to prepare um, if it is a, a worst case scenario. Um, but then something that I would also tap into, which I think you know we're all kind of saying as well, is like leaning into past experiences that may have been similar. And it wasn't too long ago that COVID came upon us and the world completely flipped flipped on its head. And we are all still here. And how did we get through it? And in relating to those experiences and those stories, I think have been really helpful when when I have conversations with my team about what's going on right now is. Um, yeah, leaning into that and uh, yeah, reminding them that, you know, this isn't the first time like we've been through and up and down, um, you know, and that's also why we reinforce when we when we bring folks on like loyalty is one of the biggest things that I really buy into for 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 uh, from a value from a, um, a trait for folks within startup ecosystems is specifically for that reason alone of like, you can't get you can't get scared and then just start, you know, looking elsewhere or jumping, jumping ship because the, the water's got a little rocky. Um, so for the folks that stick it out, you know, they, they're the ones that really kind of get it and, you know, really appreciate that, that transparency as well. Cool. Man, we got deep. Now I definitely need to get a drink. Um, <laughs> thank you. Thank you guys both for, for joining us and, and, you know, sharing some knowledge and some, some past experiences with us. I think it's really valuable stuff. And, and again, I think there's a, a lot that we can build on this specific topic. Um, but uh, again, thank you so much for, for joining. And if there's anywhere specific that you want to shout out that where folks can maybe connect with you or, you know, tap you for, 
you know, uh, advice, you know, feel free to shout it out now. A lot of folks mentioned LinkedIn or, or Twitter or whatever. Yeah, LinkedIn is the only place that where I live. <laughs> so. cool. LinkedIn is great. My parents gifted me with an unbelievably great name for SEO. So uh, <laughs> always happy to connect. Awesome. All right. Well, that's a wrap. Thank you all so much. Thank you. Thank you guys for the opportunity. No worries. Thank you for listening to the pair program. If you'd like to continue the conversation from this week's episode, you can do so with the Hatchpad community. Join us at chat dot myhatchpad dot com.